Please join me in prayer to God as we seek to listen to his word. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may your spirit rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Our first New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word for you and for me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Today's second reading is a familiar story from the Gospel of Matthew, selected verses in chapter 13. Listen now for God's word to you. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, 
some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke out the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It appears God does not do things the way we like to do things, or at least the way I like to do things. I'm a Presbyterian pastor. I'm someone who believes in moderation and in planning. I have learned over time to be efficient so I can be somewhat effective. I've learned over time to structure my time and resources wisely so I can squeeze the most out of every single day. I do things decently and in order. I believe in efficiency, in moderation, and in careful, thoughtful planning. And then my boss goes and tells a story like this. Now, few, if any of us, I'm guessing, are farmers or even know what it would take to run a farm successfully. But those listeners on the beach that morning, the ones standing on the beach listening to Jesus, they knew farming. They knew what it took to run an efficient and effective farm. They were aware of the best practices of the day, which is why this story Jesus tells would have immediately grabbed their attention. You see, there was this farmer, Jesus says. There was this farmer who went out to sow some seed. It was early in the morning when he ventured out with his bag of seeds strapped on his back. Grabbing handful after handful, this farmer threw the seed anywhere and everywhere. And as he sowed this seed so carelessly, some fell on the path and some old crows came and ate it up. Other seeds fell on rocks, and you can imagine those seeds didn't do too well. Some other seeds fell among thorns and got overwhelmed and choked out. At this point in the story, the crowd was likely muttering to each other, what is wrong with this guy? No plowing, nice, neat rows, no tilling the soil, no clearing out the brush, no digging out the rocks, no scarecrows to keep away those pesky birds, no prepping the soil with some good manure. What kind of farmer is this guy? In his book, Purple Cow, entrepreneur Seth Godin makes the argument that for companies to be successful, to experience success in today's competitive marketplace, they have to be willing to create what he likes to call a purple cow. Something so interesting, so unique, so remarkable that it would stand out among all the other cows. A purple one. In his writing, Godin laments how few companies are willing to do what it would take to create, to make, to produce a purple cow. And the reason is simple, he argues. 
most companies are too afraid. Afraid to take risks. Afraid to spend the necessary money on research and development. Afraid to waste their precious resources chasing a dream. And so companies often settle for the middle, the known, the normal, the familiar. Instead of doing something new, they work really hard to make their particular widget just a little bit better. But, as the book points out so clearly, when companies are willing to do what it takes to create a purple cow, when they are willing to take risks and spend it all to create something truly remarkable, truly unique, truly interesting, they often experience enormous success. Once Jesus got the crowd's attention with this story about this farmer who hasn't got a clue of how to farm, he ends the story with a bit of surprise. By some sheer stroke of luck, some of the seed this farmer manages to throw around, some of it lands on some good soil. So good, in fact, that it brought forth grain, a lot of grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, a yield that would be beyond anyone's wildest dreams. question for you. When you hear something that sounds too good to be true, what do you do? What goes into your mind? What do you think when you hear of something that is too good to be true? If you're like me, you probably wonder about the hidden costs or if someone is cheating the system or if people aren't really telling the whole story. When JetBlue burst on the scene a while ago and experienced success as a low-fare airline, competitors said that their low-cost structure, underused airports, and young non-union staff gave them an unfair advantage in the marketplace. When Amazon experienced profit increases while traditional retailers suffered, people complained that all the free shipping and huge selection gave them an unfair advantage over the neighborhood store. And every time Apple comes out with the next big thing, something that does what no other product does, competitors complain that the price is too high or the product too strange to possibly be successful. (laughs) Who wants to wear a computer on their wrist? And yet every time, people line up to buy it. I don't think these companies are cheating or hiding something. They've just realized that if you're willing to take risks, If you're willing to do things in a way no one has ever done them before, you're likely to be rewarded. Which got me wondering, why don't churches take more risks? Why don't we spend more of our money, our budget, on research and development to figure out what's next? Why don't congregations like this one see themselves more as innovators rather than preservationists? Why are we so resistant to creating a purple cow, to doing something new? It's really crazy when you think about it. If any institution in the entire world should be willing to throw caution to the wind, it should be the one that believes it is loved and claimed by a life-giving, generous, risk-taking God a God who loves us before we say or do a single thing. 
And yet, despite this eternal truth, from my experience anyway, few churches are willing to embrace the kind of risk-taking that is modeled in this parable of the sower or in a successful business plan. And there are numbers of reasons why churches resist risk-taking, but I've narrowed them down to three. We forget to whom all this belongs. We prioritize longevity over productivity. And we fear, we deathly fear, making mistakes. We forget to whom all this belongs. I'm standing in the sanctuary right now. It is an amazing space. And none of this is yours or mine, or even the Presbyterian churches. Not the building, not the pews, not the organ, not the archives, not the endowment funds or the land on which it stands. All of this belongs to God. And here's what's really crazy. God doesn't need any of it to accomplish God's purposes. God doesn't need Grace Covenant to thrive for the gospel to be relevant or for it to change lives, which is perhaps why God is so generous with God's resources. God is willing to cast seed any which way because God has an unlimited supply. God lives in this world of abundance while we settle setting up shop in a world of scarcity. We are also afraid to take risks with our resources, I think, because we prioritize longevity over productivity. We are always faithfully thinking about the long-term consequences of hiring that additional staff person or spending endowment funds more aggressively or having the church move in an entirely different direction. What if people leave? What if conflict ensues? What if we run out of money? What if it doesn't work? These are all valid questions, but none of them matter to God. You want to experience an otherworldly yield? Jesus reminds us, be like the sower in the story. Be generous risk takers with what you've been given so you can experience the incredible yields that come when one is willing to throw caution to the wind to ensure that the good news lands on those who are eager to hear it. You might have missed the twist at the end of the parable that drives this point home. It'd be easy to if you weren't familiar with farming again. That little line about a 160 or a 30-fold yield would have gotten the crowd's attention on the beach that day. I mean, in a really good year, in a really good year when everything goes right, a seven-fold yield might be possible if everything goes right. But a yield of 30, 60, and 100-fold is simply ridiculous. It never happens. Of course, it never happens or rarely happens because we rarely live and work and serve as if the God we worship rewards a risk-taking generosity that at times borders on foolishness. We live as if the God we worship is like us, decent, orderly, and extremely prudent. Good qualities for your accountant or your pediatrician, but not for a God who promises to make all things new. The last reason I think we struggle with risk-taking in church life is that we fear making mistakes. 
Too often we do church, we serve in church, we be the church as if it were some test of our faithfulness, our goodness. Even when we know and proclaim that God's love is, love is a gift freely given. But imagine, if you will, take a moment and imagine, if you will, how different it would be to do church if we weren't so afraid about messing up the church's long-term prospects. Imagine how much more interesting this might all be if we took risks, tried new things, and spent money generously, even carelessly, in service of the good news. Imagine if church meetings were the one place where you heard the word yes more than you heard the word no. Imagine if in church life, in this church's life, failure was celebrated as a sign of faithfulness. Yes, I hear your voices out there. There is a chance that a culture of risk-taking could backfire. It's possible. You could run out of money or people. (laughs) But that is unlikely in my experience. Generosity begets generosity. And no business, no church, no institution succeeds long-term without taking some risks along the way. And if you did perhaps run out of money, because you tried everything and anything to get the word out there, wouldn't you sleep better at night knowing you tried? The reason Seth Godin argues that companies need to create purple cows to ensure some level of success in today's marketplace is because he has embraced the truth that the traditional ways of marketing just don't work anymore. There are just too many products, too many ads, too much online, and too little time for people to sift through all the choices presented to them. He argues, and I agree, the only advertising that really works anymore is word of mouth. A product has to be so remarkable that people will actually talk about it with their friends. And when a cow is purple, people can't help but talk about it. Why do you think the church of Jesus Christ has survived all these years? Why do you think it has withstood famine, war, pestilence, political and social upheaval? Do you think it survived because of careful planning or stable structures or the prudent use of finances? Do you think the church has survived, even thrived, because of its commitment to tradition or the preservation of the way things have always been done here before? Of course not. The church of Jesus Christ has flourished these 2,000 years because its history is full of people who heard the word of God and responded to it by spreading it out the way God spreads it out, without a care in the world to anyone and everyone with no long-term plan other than making sure they threw enough seed to ensure it landed far enough off the beaten path to take root in some really good soil and bear a harvest like no one has ever seen. I participate in a Teach for America alumni group here in Richmond. The book we are currently reading is Unhealed History by the Reverend Joseph Campbell. If you haven't read the book, it's incredible, if not difficult, look at the complicated history of our city. This past week, as we discussed chapters four through six, chapters that looked at the church's role in the bustling slave trade of Richmond, we decided it would make sense to meet 
on Monument Avenue near the Lee Circle, which is now referred to by many as Marcus David Peters Circle. As we sat in the grass in our socially distanced group with our masks on and discussed the book, we were approached by two different men. The first guy that came up was decked out in full camouflage. A young white guy in his early 20s, he looked rough around the edges. As he walked over, I have to admit, I felt myself tense up. I didn't know what this guy was going to say. But this is what he said. Hey, I just want to say thank you. For, for what? A few of us asked. I want to thank you for being so peaceful, for respecting this space, for being such a calming presence here. It's really cool. We're glad you're here. And he smiled and walked away. A few minutes later, a Latino man, I'm guessing in his early 40s, walked over with a large canvas bag in his hand. Again, I'm ashamed to admit my initial reaction was not good. I got a little defensive. What's going to go on now, I thought. Hey, he said, I want to give you all something. Uh-oh. What? we asked. It's something we give everyone who comes to the circle and sits for a while. And then he walked around to each member in our group, without any knowledge about who we were or where we came from or what side we had in the story or what we believed in, he walked around the circle, looked us in the eye, and gave each one of us a large sealed plastic baggie. Inside the bag was some hand sanitizer, a large gauze pad, a bottle of water, a granola bar, some hand wipes, and some plastic gloves. It was so generous and so unexpected. And some seed found fertile soil and yielded, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. God is out there right now, casting seed anywhere and everywhere. To assure that anywhere and everywhere there is fertile soil, people are receiving the good news and producing a yield that is surprising everyone. Everyone except the people who know the nature of God. Imagine living, imagine serving, imagine doing church as if no opportunity to spread some good news in word and in deed could ever be wasted. Imagine a church, a world, a city like that. Amen.